Well, good morning, church. How's everyone doing this morning? Good? It's good to see each of you here. And once again, if you're our guests, welcome. If you're watching online later this week, welcome. My name is Aaron, and I am the lead pastor here at NCC. And we are a church that's passionate about making people and places new. And we're in this series called Jesus Above. And we've been spending the past few weeks walking through the book of Hebrews, this book in the Bible, and looking at this theme over and over again, how Jesus is above everyone and everything in our lives. And before I jump into the message today, I want to talk about what we talked about two weeks ago. You know, last week we had Sabbath Sunday, so we didn't come here into this building together, Um, but we spent some time practicing Sabbath, and that means that we stopped working, that we enjoy rest, that we practice the light, and we contemplate God, and so hopefully you did that. And so the week before we talked about Sabbath, we just had a conversation about what that looks like and what God's Word says about that. And after I preached that message, I had a number of people after both services that came up and asked me the same question. And so I was kicking myself like, why didn't I just say that in the message? So I want to just address two things really quickly before we jump into this message as it relates to Sabbath. The first is I had a number of people that asked, hey, Aaron, does Sabbath have to be on a Sunday? Like the way that we were talking about, hey, we're taking a Sunday off. We're going to practice this together. Does Sabbath have to be on a Sunday? Great question. The simple answer is no, it does not, okay? So Sabbath, and this was a question that early Christians were asking, um, and this is what the Bible says is, the writer in the Bible, one of the writers said, hey, some of you guys take one day and you set it apart in your week and you're saying this day is holy. And it's that same day every single week, week in and week out, it's always that day. And he said, hey, that's great. And then others of you, because of your schedule, because of the way life is, it's not always the same day, but it's different days. All those days are holy. And so you take a day and you set that apart for Sabbath to honor God in that way. And he said, hey, that's good, however that works. But the principle is taking that day and setting it apart where we stop working, where we're not just going, 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 you know, but where we pause and we reflect on the goodness of God. And so, no, it does not have to be one specific day. It may shift, like one time it may be better on a Monday, and then another week it may be better on a Saturday. That's great. The principle is, God, we're going to stop and we're going to honor you in this way. Remember, Sabbath does not control us, okay? It's not just another legal thing, not just another legal rule that we follow. This is a gift from God. It's a gift for us in our life. And so we we don't want to be bound by one specific thing, but we do want to honor God in this way inside of our lives. The second thing that I just want to remind you of is, hey, this is a practice. And so maybe you went this last week and you're like, okay, on Sunday, I'm supposed to be doing this. And then the laundry piled up and you ended up doing a load of laundry. And then you're kicking yourself like, oh, why did I do that? And that's going to happen, you guys. It's a practice. And I mentioned that when I first started this, that first day, it felt like I hit a brick wall. Like, I mean, I was like, what's going on? Because I was used to always producing, 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 and doing, 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 that it was hard for me to stop. And that's going to happen. And, you know, it takes time to develop this and to kind of shift that mindset. And so I want to encourage you, if you find yourself in like, hey, this week I'm going to take, you know, Saturday and I'm going to honor God in that way on that day, that's okay. And if you find yourself, man, I messed up, I did something that was kind of work for me, Just keep practicing that. We want to grow in this. And I truly believe this. We're going to be more healthy physically, emotionally, mentally, as we practice Sabbath and accept this gift in our life. So I want to challenge you. I know we did last Sunday and we took that together as a church, but allow this to continue to work inside of your life. And so today we're continuing this conversation, Jesus above, and we're looking at this idea, Jesus above our sin. 
Jesus above our sin and that practice in our life where Christ is above the sin that is inside of our life. Now, in just a week and a half, Sarah and myself, my wife and myself, we're going to celebrate 20 years of marriage. Kind of crazy to think about. Um, I'm getting to that place where I've been married to her longer than I was ever single in my life, like just right at that point right now in my life. And so it's exciting. And we're going on a cruise in a week, which is what we did for our 10-year anniversary. And so I've been thinking about that. And on our 10-year anniversary, we went on this cruise. It was a great experience. I didn't really grow up going to fancy restaurants. Maybe some of you guys did. I didn't. And even as a young adult, like in my early 20s and even 30s, I didn't go to a lot of fancy restaurants. But on the cruise, like every night, it's kind of a fancy restaurant. And there's formal dining. And so you get dressed up a little bit nicer. And, you know, the waiters and waitresses serve you. And there's kind of like a three or a four-course meal. So it was really fancy. Now, I remember one night sitting there and we were talking to our waiter. We got to know him pretty well. He was from the Philippines and he hands us our menu. And I see the appetizer that night is escargot. I don't know if you guys have ever had escargot, but I know what it is. It's snail. But I see escargot and for some reason, it just sounds fancier. And I think I'm going to try that. I'm going to try and eat that, right? So they bring it out and it's what you would imagine. It is a snail still inside of the shell that has been cooked there, Okay. And I don't know if it was the amount of salt that I put on it, but it actually didn't taste that bad. And so I was eating it. I like mushrooms. It kind of had that earthy taste to it. So I just kind of thought I'm eating mushrooms here. But I finished off the whole plate of escargot. And then I stopped and paused and thought, this is really weird, you guys. Like I'm eating a slimy bug that crawls across the ground, but it's really fancy for me to do this, right? And then I started to think, just as I've kind of pondered back to that moment, I thought, you know, that's weird. We don't call them snails. On the menu, you know, it's not listed as a snail because that doesn't sound appetizing, does it? And I started to think, we do that with a lot of our food, don't we? I mean, calamari, it doesn't say on there fried squid tentacles, but that's what you're eating, right? And and so I think it's just so much better, doesn't it? Like a fancy restaurant, they can serve you fish eggs. They can charge you 30 or $40 for that appetizer and call it caviar, and we just suck it down. We're like, yes, this is so fancy. Look at me. I'm rich. I'm eating caviar. No, someone has scraped fish eggs off of the bottom of the ocean or a lake, and they're serving them to you, right? We, we do this. We feel better about ourselves when we call it by a different name, veal, right? I don't want to know that I killed a baby cow, that it never made it into adulthood so that I could eat some meat. And so we call it veal. We just change the name of it. And somehow we feel better about ourselves as we do this. And I thought, you know, as I started to think about what we're talking about today, Jesus above our sin, I thought we do that sometimes with sin in our life, don't we? Like we just change the name a little bit. Hey, did you hear about so-and-so at work? They had an affair. And somehow that seems more palatable, like it's easier to say that. It's a little bit less offensive than to really be honest. Hey, they cheated on their spouse and they went and had sexual activity with another person. Because there's just a raw reality to that, right? There's like sin right in your face. And to call it something different, it makes it seem a little bit easier to kind of work with or deal with pornography. Instead of being honest that many people in our country have an addiction of looking at other people naked and then lusting and wanting to have sex with them. And somehow pornography is just used as this term that we talk about a lot, right? It's the issue in our life and we don't really face the reality of what's going on. A little white lie. Well, it was just a little white lie as if the color and the size of it mattered at all. You've betrayed someone's trust, you guys. 
You've been dishonest with another person in what you've said, and you violated the relationship of trust that you had with that individual. But we word it a little bit different because it makes us feel a little bit better about ourselves. But the stark reality is the honesty of this is we have an issue with sin. It doesn't matter how we coat over it. It doesn't matter what you call it. It doesn't matter the terminology that you use. You and I, we have issues with sin inside of our life, and it has been like this for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Mankind, men and women, all throughout the ages, we have an issue with sin in our life. And we try to do things to make it better. We call it by different names. We accuse other people, right? Like we try to justify it in our life, like, Hey, well, I know I do this. You know, I may lie sometimes. Sometimes I may cheat the company a little bit, but I'm not out murdering anyone, right? And and so we kind of take it to the extreme and we justify ourselves as if someone else's life was the standard for our life and not God's word. That's how we live many times. We try to justify it. How about this? We're very quick to point out sin in other people's life because we think it'll help us to ignore the sin in our own. Did you see what they did? Oh man, do you know what's going on with them? Do you know what's happening in there? Like we do that so often and so quickly because we want to ignore the fact that we have those same issues. We have those same problems in our life. We are broken people that are sinful people in desperate need of a God that can save us and that can redeem us and that can forgive us of our sin. And so it doesn't matter what we do. The issue is real that we have a problem with sin. God very clearly points it out in his word in Galatians chapter five, verse 19. The writer of Galatians said, hey, your sin is obvious. My sin is obvious in front of us all. It's sexual immorality. It's impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, when the whole drive of your life is wrapped around yourself, factions, envy, drunkenness. So whenever I'm consuming so much alcohol, I'm getting drunk, I'm getting buzzed. I don't care what you call it. This is what God's word lists it as. Hey, that's a problem inside of my life, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we struggle with these things. And some of you may be thinking, no, I don't think I, yeah, no, you struggle with them. I'm telling you, you do. You can ignore them inside of your life, but no one that's sitting in this room, no one that's standing in this room is righteous. I'm not standing here in a righteousness of my own, you guys. Not one of us are. We are covered in the righteousness of Christ of what God has done in our life, but all of us have missed the mark. God's word says that no one is righteous. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. In 2 Timothy chapter three, he says it's gonna get even worse in the last days. So as the end of time is approaching, it's gonna be a bigger problem. And people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. All the parents in the room said, amen. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. I just can't help myself. I keep trying, but man, it just, it's just a problem in my life. Brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power and having nothing to do with such people. I mean, that looks like our time, you guys. People that claim that they're spiritual, that they're seeking a higher power, but they have no reflection of God. They have none of the characteristics of God in their life. And they're actually against people who do. I mean, that sounds like modern television, doesn't it? I mean, this could be a commentary on our time. This is sin that's prevalent 
here in our world. And this is what we struggle with. And I know some of you may have this tendency in the room to think, man, this is good. Yes, we're hitting on this. Aaron, I just wish my coworker were here. And I wish I could get my friend or that family member, man, I just, I want to get them this podcast. I know this is going to be good today. I know they're going to need to hear this. So let me just line out this little bit of truth for you right here and right now. This message is not for them. It's for you. If you're sitting here thinking of someone else, just know God's spirit is trying to talk to you. This message is for you and it's for me in this room because we have an issue with this. We have an issue with sin in our life. And once again, we want to point the finger at someone else. We want to point the blame at someone else. And the problem is deep with inside each and every one of us. Sin is an issue for all of us. And it doesn't matter if you've been serving Christ for 15 minutes or 15 years. We struggle with our human nature. We struggle with this sinful nature that is inside of each and every one of us. And we are desperately in need of a savior. And sometimes we try to ignore it, you guys. And the dangerous thing is many times the longer we serve Christ, the further we think we are from sin. But I believe the longer we serve Christ, the more, um, the more we should realize our sinful nature. And I do that. Like um, up here sometimes I'll tell you, man, my life is broken and it's messed up and it's screwed up. And I have people that actually come up to me and ask me, well, what do you mean? Like, Aaron, are you doing really bad stuff? Yes, it's really bad stuff, you guys. Sin is really bad. Doesn't matter how you call it. It doesn't matter what sin separates us from God. It is wrong inside of our life. Now, I just want you to know as your pastor, I'm not out cheating on my wife, okay? I'm not murdering people. I'm not stealing. I'm not doing those things. But here's what I've realized, you guys, after walking with God for 20 years, is there's moments where I'm close to his presence and I realize more than ever, more than I did when I started, more than when I was out there doing visible sin in my life, I realized more and more, I'm not like him, you guys. And you're not the standard for my life. I can't look at you and say, hey, I'm doing a little bit better than you, so I guess I'm okay. No, God is the standard for my life. And the closer I get to him, the more time I spend in his presence, the more, I around, the more I'm around him, I just break down and I think, God, I'm so broken. I'm so jacked up. I'm not like you, God. You are righteous and you are holy. You are perfect in everything that you do, God. And I continue to mess up. I continue to sin. I continue to struggle. I continue to fight against your plan. I don't want to do it, but I continue to do it. God, I'm not like you are. And so it leads me to this place of continually running back to him and saying, God, what I have is not enough. And I'm desperately in need of you. And church, I want you to hear this. If you get nothing else from this message today is as you follow Christ longer and longer, it should make you run closer and closer to him. Not to think I can do this on my own. Hey, I'm better off today than I was when I first started. Hey, I'm more righteous. No, I'm standing here, not in a righteousness of my own, not in my own strength, but simply because of the grace and the mercy of Christ and that it's his righteousness that covers me. God's word says it's like a jacket of righteousness that Christ puts around your life, and that's what covers you. And when you try to come on your own, God's word says it's just like filthy rags. It's disgusting because of how perfect and how holy God is. And so there's this issue of sin, and I realize I've spent the majority of the message just talking about this, but if you don't understand this, nothing else that I say will make sense. 
you don't get this truth right here that we are people that are broken, we are messed up, and that we are sinful individuals that are desperately in need of Christ, it's not going to make sense what Christ has done or why he came or what he gave if we don't understand that simple truth in our life that sin is a factor for us and we desperately need a Savior who will redeem us and restore our lives. And so let's look at this in Scripture. If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 9, and we're going to start reading at verse 18. And if you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's okay. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 18, there's a Bible in the seat in front of you, and it's on page 583. I want to encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, take out that blue Bible there in front of you, turn to page 583. And we're going to begin to walk through a few verses in Hebrews 9 and then also in Hebrews 10, where the writer is talking to them about this. And I want you to just catch a few things as we jump into this Hebrews passage He's not talking about sin and about the need for forgiveness and about what Christ has done to people just outside of the church. This is a letter to the church. So this is for each of us this morning. We need to be reminded of these things. You may know some of these things, but we need to be reminded of it. The second thing is this. It's good to understand this is these Christians were still struggling with this idea that they needed to do animal sacrifices, which may seem really weird to us. I doubt anyone in the room is still wrestling with that concept of like, do I need to be saved? Do I need to kill an animal? Hopefully you're not thinking that. But these Christians were because it was a part of these religious rituals and ceremonies that they would do. And they thought, I still need to do these religious things, these rituals and these ceremonies in order to be in right relationship with God. That is what is going to save me. And that's where I think we're alike with those people as we still many times try to do different things and we think those are going to save us instead of just realizing, wait, Jesus, you are above the sin in our life. And so this is where we pick up the conversation. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 18, it says this, Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law was declared to Moses, this is talking about when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments and all the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats, with water and scarlet, wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all of the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled the blood um, on both tents and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And then this is what I want you to catch right here, this line. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Now you can read this and you can think, Aaron, this sounds like a horror movie. I mean, someone's chasing after you and they've got animal blood and they're trying to fling it on you. And I guess this guy was like dabbing this stuff on the tents and on all of these um, worship things, right? Like it would look weird if someone came up here and just sprinkled some blood on this keyboard. You'd think that's pretty weird. But this was part of what was taking place in the Old Testament, the ceremonies for people to realize what it costs. Because your sin costs something, you guys. Your sin requires a penalty. It requires justice. Because of the justice of God, like sin requires something. We have betrayed and turned our back on God and we cannot, we cannot expect or just assume that, hey, that's a free pass on that. God does not just turn a blind eye to your sin. And so if you think, well, um, salvation just means God ignores my sin, that is not the case at all. That's not what's taking place here. It's actually through the shedding of blood that we receive forgiveness for your sin and for my sin. And so we realize Jesus is above our sin because he shed his blood, because he gave his life for you and for me. That's how we receive forgiveness. 
This weight of sin that you and I are under, how are we redeemed from that? How are we restored from that? It's because Jesus gave his blood. He died on the cross for you and for me. And as his blood was shed, it brought us life. Now, once again, that's just a weird concept. And if you're new to faith, that idea of, okay, Jesus shed his blood and that somehow makes me okay, that, that just seems really odd. And so let me try to explain it in a different way. I was thinking about this. I um, remember when Josiah, our first baby, was born. It was a long ordeal. Sarah was in labor over 24 hours. I've told part of that story before, but I remember um, at the last minute, the doctor said, we're gonna have to do an emergency C-section. This is, once again, I haven't eaten in about 24 hours because I didn't wanna leave Sarah's side. I haven't really slept in 24 hours. And so we're there in the emergency or in the operating room and they've got this curtain up and I'm sitting right by Sarah holding her hand. Are you okay? Like, are you doing fine? And so she's partially awake and the doctor's telling us what's going on. Okay, we're making an incision in her abdomen. Okay, we're opening up. And then I hear, um, it's a boy and they pull Josiah out. He starts to scream, right? And I get all excited and, and I'm super pumped. And then they take Josiah over, they clean him up. I'm still looking at Sarah. Are you doing okay? Yeah, I'm doing okay. And then the nurse says, Mr. Escamilla, do you wanna come see your new baby? And I think, yes, this is going to be awesome. And so I step up and for the first time I step beyond the curtain that they had um, right below Sarah's, um, right above Sarah's abdomen. And as I step over, I'm looking at Josiah, our new baby that the nurse is holding right there in front of me. And I glance over to the side and I see Sarah cut open. And I see things that look like they should be in her body, outside of her body. And I just see blood everywhere. I don't know if it was that I hadn't eaten. I don't know if it was the lack of sleep. My legs go out, the room starts spinning. The nurse is looking at me like, are you okay? And I'm thinking, I don't know if I'm okay. And she said, hey, Mr. Escovia, you could go sit back down and we can bring the baby to you. And I said, that is a great idea, let's do that. And so I just told the nurse, cause all of our kids after that were C-section. So I just told him, hey, you're gonna have to bring the kid to me. I'm not going to the kid until you guys are done over there, right? Because I'm not a medical doctor, I'm not a medical professional, but I know this simple rule, blood does not belong outside of your body, okay? That's just a simple fact. I think before they had hospitals and all of this, uh, men and women throughout history, we've known this fact that blood does not belong outside of your body. Why? Because blood helps um, your body to live, like oxygen's flowing through, it's taking oxygen to all of your organs, right? It's helping your brain function like it needs to. If you lose too much blood, that's a bad thing. You don't want that. Why? Because that's gonna bring death. And all throughout time, we've known this, that blood is this symbolism of life, that it's what's needed to sustain life. It's what's needed to provide life. And so the death that our sin brought, the death, the disobedience of your sin and my sin brought death into this world. And there was only one answer for that. And that was the life-giving blood of Jesus Christ. It's what he did on the cross. That's the only thing that can answer that. And so Jesus rises above our sin by giving his blood, by covering our death with his life and saying, I'm giving up what I have for the sin that you've committed. And if you're ever wondering what is the cost of my sin, just look at the cross because it cost God something. He did not turn a blind eye to your sin. He did not just say, well, I'll ignore that. It's okay. I'll kind of give you a pass on that. No, someone paid the price. It was God himself. If you're ever feeling worthless, just look at what God paid for you. 
He gave his own life. The only thing that he had to give was himself. And he gave himself to the world so that you and I could be restored back into a right relationship with God. Jesus conquered and answered the issue of sin through his own life. He is above our sin because of what he has done. This Wednesday night, um, we were here in this room at seven o'clock and we were praying and Josh and Alyssa and Richie, they were leading us and they started to lead out in that worship song, What a Beautiful Name. And I was just walking back and forth and for whatever reason, this, these lines stood out to me from that song and just hit me in a way. And, and one of the verses says this, you didn't want heaven without us. You guys, and that just hit me. God could not stand the thought of heaven without me and without you. He didn't want a heaven where we were absent, where we were not in the picture. And so he did something. He brought heaven down to us. My sin was great, but your love was greater. What could separate us now? And I just spent the next few minutes walking back and forth, just letting those words, that understanding pour over my life. God, my sin was so messed up. God, what I'd done had separated me from you, Lord, and there was nothing I could do about it. But yet your love overcame that, God. Through the power of the cross, through you giving your life, the blood that you shed, God, it restored me back into a right relationship with you so that I could be with you. See, Jesus is above our sin. Because of the blood that he shed, he's above our sin, and he wants you to be present with him. Let me just hit one other thought really quickly. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 says this, For since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come, Instead of the true form of these realities, they could never by the same sacrifice that are continually offered every year make perfect those that are drawing near. What is, Hebrews, what is the writer of Hebrews saying? Is he saying, hey, the sacrifices in the Old Testament, they couldn't do that. They were simply a foreshadowing. They were just a picture it's like you were looking at a picture and then Christ comes and you see the real image. It's like you're standing there and now you can see what was only drawn or what had only been illustrated before. Now it was present right there in front of you. The goodness, the majesty of God was right there. Jesus came and he was the ultimate sacrifice. And what was happening during this time that the writer of Hebrews is writing is he's saying, hey church, you're missing it. You're actually thinking that you can work and that you can do something, and that if you do the right religious things, that it'll somehow make up for the wrong and the sin that you've committed against God, and that you'll be in right standing. But our sacrifices, our work, our efforts, they can never bring us back in right relationship with God. They can never correct what has been broken in our life with God. Only Christ can do that. That's why Jesus is above our sin. See, it's not our works, church. It's not our works that are above our sin. It's not that we could do enough good things. It's that Jesus himself, because of what he has done, that he stands above our sin in his righteousness, not in a righteousness of our own. All of these things were simply shadows. They were never meant to be permanent. All of the sacrifices in the Old Testament, they were simply meant to point to the true sacrifice, who Christ was and what he's done in our life. And I love how Ravi Zacharias, this Christian author, says it like this. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. See, this is the issue right here, is many of us are operating like God has come just because we had some behavioral problems. Like hell is kind of a detention and we get put there for a little bit, you know, if we mess up, but then God really wants us to have good behavior and that's how we're made into right relationship. But that's not the issue. 
If it was, you could work hard enough. I mean, you could muster up some self-discipline. You could become strong-willed and, hey, I'm just going to try really hard and I'm going to alter my behavior and that will make me in right relationship with God. But the problem isn't that we're just bad people that are trying to be better. The issue is that we're dead people that need life. We're spiritually dead, church. Without Christ left to ourselves, without accepting the redemptive work of Christ from the cross, we are dead people walking around. We are spiritually dead, and we are desperately in need of a Savior. And I don't know about you, but I can't work hard enough to bring myself back from the dead. Okay? You can't do that. I mean, if you just drop dead right in your seat, you can't muster up enough energy. You can't be self-disciplined enough. If you have died, self-discipline is not going to help you to come back to life. And it's that same way spiritually. You and I, we can't fix ourselves when we're dead. It's only Christ, the giver of life, that steps into your situation, that steps into my situation, and he begins to speak life over each and every one of us. The last thing that we see here in the book of Hebrews is he simply says this, I will remember your sins no more. The lawless deeds that you've committed, I will keep them in front of me no more. For where there is this forgiveness, there's no longer another sacrifice needed for sin. Christ has done it. Church, I want you to understand that. Forgiveness in Christ, it's not just something that's promised. It's something that's been accomplished. It's not just something out there in the future. Right now, Christ has accomplished that in our lives. That gift of forgiveness is over us. Through the power of the cross, sin is a reality in our life. And the only answer for that is to run to Jesus because he's above our sin. Because he's above those sinful nature that we face inside of each and every one of us that we struggle with. And because we need to be made more and more into his likeness. And that only happens through the work of Christ. Not through any works of our own, not through any good behavior of our own. Only through the work of Christ. Only by continually coming to him.